Welcome to the Movers Mindset Podcast, where I interview movement enthusiasts to find out who they are, what they do, and why they do it. 35 episodes and two years later, Adam McClellan returns to Movers Mindset. Adam deserves a large measure of credit because he was willing to be the original guinea pig for this crazy experiment. Our first interview was a simple Q&A style, but in this episode, we have an in-depth conversation about the cycles the community goes through, the nature of parkour, and the type of people who are drawn to it. Adam explores the intersection of parkour and business and how the two coexist before discussing the nuances of coaching children. He opens up about his knee injury and recovery, his thoughts on normalizing parkour to the public, and different ways to design a parkour gym. Hello, I'm Craig Constantine from Movers Mindset. I recently sat down with Adam McClellan in the Lehigh Valley, Pennsylvania, and this episode is our nearly unedited conversation. Adam has been doing parkour since 2006 and was our first podcast guest two years ago in February of 2017. Since then, Adam has been pursuing his dream, coaching, creating a parkour facility, continuing to teach, and also to coach as an ADAPT coaching qualifications tutor. And I'm hoping that we get a chance to discuss the ups and downs of building a gym, his personal training after a serious knee injury, and what his movement journey looks like today. So this is always challenging because these are just general open conversations. And part of this is always fun because do we talk over each other? Or like, do you wait for me to yes, ask you yes, an actual question? <laughs> yes, we will. <laughs> That's the audio people's problem. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live it on the edge. I'm taking my glasses off. I have nothing else to read. So let's see. When last we spoke, mm-hmm. <laughs> have you ever seen the Battlestar Galactica television show? The, no. the remake? No. So I watched it. It's like 700 and, you know, episodes, whatever. And every one of them is previously on Battlestar Galactica. And then they would run like a two minute thing. That's the first series I ever saw that really had all that in it. So every time I want to do an, a part two, I always want to go previously, previously on movie mindset. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Although it wasn't, it was called parkour. They said, cause it was right. episode one. And I, if I actually, I don't know if you remember, I actually didn't press record. So, the, Oh yeah. We had to redo <laughs> it from the beginning. I do remember this. The joke with podcasters is like never, I mean, it's like everybody forgets to press record and I thought, Oh, who would ever be stupid on the press? Record? <laughs> and I'm like, we're talking for Me. like 15 minutes. And I look down and I'm like, Oh, uh. the light is still blinking <laughs> and the things aren't moving. So yeah, I, I am actually recording this time. I have checked three times. If you notice, good. I also <laughs> like, checked for you. <laughs> There's a red light. Yes, a red light. I think that means recording. Yes, instead of blinking, which is temporary. So my first question, I have one question for you in 37 parts. Mm -hmm. I think movie references should be an ongoing shtick. What I'm wondering is, so uh, when did I meet you? I met you in 2007 or 8 or something like that. Um, Mm, Had to be... No, to 11. It can't have been. Yeah, I was going to say, it had to be sometime after 2009 or 10. So I would say 2011 is a pretty good guess. Maybe even 12. I'm sure I could look it up in my journals because I have this problem with OCD and writing stuff down. No, I have the opposite problem of (laughs) not being able to write anything down and then not remembering it. I I just wrote a blog post about, I have journals that go back to 2001. Not, one. they're not solid, but I started, you know, 14 years ago, like really doing it every day. And then one day I sat down and said, you know, it would be really cool. Like I'm writing this stuff, but I'm not reading it. I mean, when they go through my memoirs, they're going to read <laughs> yeah. it all. And I went and I found like six years back and three years back and one year back. And I stuck bookmarks in. And then at the beginning of, you know, around the first of the month, I go and I get them. And I'm reading like this six-year-old novel about this 
complete asshat who has like no clue like his life is a mess and it's all it's like it's a disaster and six years ago we were right in the middle of like ripping the house apart so it's all like wow i'm in old depot for the fourth time when this <laughs> it's hysterical and then like there's this three years like ago person who is who's like okay but he's like a clown you know because like three years ago i was like really into parkour but right I, right and then like one year ago it's like i i can kind of actually remember what i was doing a year ago so it's like some intentionality behind an, yeah. anything that you were doing around parkour at that yeah. point and the the funny part is something to say about reading these reading the journals is like I, I have like this brain meltdown when I went okay if the six year ago person is an asshat and three years ago is like this clown and one year ago I've been reading the journals for more than a year so the one year ago person should already have fixed his life because he already read this and then I'm like uh oh because it isn't fixed yet <laughs> right now you're <laughs> behind. Like, what have you done? <laughs> what have I done? It's like, I'm so mad at even this. So somebody that we both know, Jesse, r- responded to the email that my website sends it out and mm-hmm. like, responded to the email with like, I would pay for this as a service if I could like have it be a website. And I'm like, it's not a service. And I took a picture of like the bookshelf for all the journals. Right. Like, it's, it's just a physical it's, thing. I just like write in the thing. It's called a notebook. Yeah. yeah. You, you service yourself. But I, I looked at, when I looked at the, sometimes it, it's hard. It's like hard to explain. You would think if you wrote it, even six years later, you would recognize it. But I swear, I read this stuff from six years ago, and I'm like, did I even write that? What is going well, on? Well, it's funny because I had to download, after after giving people advice that I myself don't follow enough times, <laughs> um, I would teach these adapt courses. You mentioned I'm a parkour uh, adapt tutor, uh, which I really enjoy that. And I would, first of all, steal drills from people at those adapt courses all the time. And I would start to forget them. And while I would forget all these cool things that I've seen and myself have done, I'd also be saying in the course, you know, make sure you have a coaching journal so that <laughs> you can always remember all the drills. You, right. And then I, I go home from that course like, I should really do that and never, not do it, not think about journal. it until the next time I do a course. So eventually I said, you know what, enough, Adam, keep your word. So I downloaded an app that's just like a note taking app, but it works really well. But I've found that I have to include in the app where I saw it mm. and who, who did it. And I generally try to take a picture of where it happened. Because oh, there have been times I look at a drill and how I'm like, you... oh, who? D- oh, oh, I made this one up. Oh, oh, this was a, this was a <laughs> great drill. How do you connect the pictures good, good. to the physical? Oh, it's a note-taking app. Sorry. I'm right. So it'll be like, it's not a, it has a little game. camera icon. So I'll click on that and like take a picture Attach, of the, yeah. the wall that it was done now, on. That's a good idea because mm-hmm. that's the downside too. I, I prefer like physical. I'm sitting here with a little notebook. I prefer like the physical because I like the fact that when you write, there are no other possible. Right. Well, and it's searchable. That's important to me. So I'll be like, yeah. what was that dice thing I did? So I'll just look up yeah. dice and there's three drills that has to do with dice. And I'm like, oh, cool. That's an interesting. I had, I think at one point I considered there's a couple of on online it might be called like i think day one is the name of a particular one that is uh encouraged like it prompts you like write your daily journal entry and then when you're done you have your memoirs or mm, so yeah. they claim i'm like writing is hard <laughs> it is so i probably met you in 2006 which is hardly wrong so 2011 i think that's right you had already created a loosely knit band of scrappy individuals who were jumping on shit. And then I had the privilege, the pleasure of being around when you said, Hey, you know, I could charge money for this. And yeah, I was right. like, damn it, the ride's over, you know, because like, I was just <laughs> waiting for that to happen. But that's sort of, and I, we've had that discussion before off mic about converting from the outdoor free for all sort of thing to like trying to make a paying community out of it. Mm, yeah. But the bigger question I have, uh, and you're welcome to ignore my questions is so you've seen a community in the context of a martial arts school, and then you've seen like the community in the context of we all just enjoy getting together outside, and then you've seen it when money's involved, and then yeah, you've seen the academy, and you've been all the, like yeah, and, what and I've is seen it about community? <laughs> I've seen different stages of all of those things because it was it was interesting when I was in martial arts, 
I joined it because it was like a family. Like I knew my instructor was like my big brother or my dad, and mm-hmm. it was someone I looked up to, and it was it was very family. If somebody said do something, you know, you you just did it. There wasn't a question. It wasn't money didn't even come into account. Uh, at least as a student, I'm sure for my parents who wrote a, <laughs> wrote a check every month, money came into account. But but for them, it was a valuable experience because of that community that that we were a part of. You know, you don't you don't leave the dojo without shaking hands and saying goodbye to everybody at the end of yeah. the night. You know, you don't not say hello to somebody. You know, it's, it's a special thing. And then I actually stopped training later into my teen years because the martial arts school started to feel a little bit a little bit less family like and a little bit more like. Okay, now we're a business. We need to open new locations and make more money and make standard say, operating did, procedures. And did the headcount go up, or did it just seem like to be a stylistic? It did. Yeah, no, it grew. Um, it definitely grew as a business, but it lost some of its culture, which I think is natural to scalability. And I mean, I'm a mature business person now, so I recognize the importance of standard operations and and making sure things <laughs> are set a certain way. You can't yes. just like make. I own this business, so who cares? Decisions right, right. when you're trying to run four locations mm-hmm. at the same time. So I mean, it's it's valid. So I look back at young me, and while I was naive, I was still onto something. I was still sensing what community members sense, which is like what the feel is like and how things change as your organization changes. So I left the martial arts school because I wanted something a little more genuine. I wanted to sort of be able to dictate it and lead it and be a bigger part of it. And then I started the parkour community, and the parkour community was very like small and family, and everybody was friends with each other and hung out with each other and did anything for each other. And then money started to come into play, and it was a little bit, and that's kind of when you joined, right? Like, yeah. okay, we're, it's yeah, ten bucks like for two hours. Season, yeah, yeah, it was nothing. It was just enough money that I was like, cool. This this means it's worth my Sundays. <laughs> you can pay the gas, and to get yeah, here, exactly, right? get the gas to get here, and 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 you know, I'm not going to flake out because people are committed to it. But now, you know, fast forward, now it's a full business. I've got employees. I've got a handbook. I've got. Yeah, I've written people up for doing things. Yeah, card processing. right, exactly. So, so then that changes dynamics again, and we're we're kind of in the middle of that. There's a lot of interesting dynamics when you're, you know, someone who's your friend and used to be your pal is now like your employee, right? And all the challenges come with that. So it's fun. Yeah, it's really been interesting to watch those all those cycles happen because um, they seem inevitable in my experience. Like you, as you grow, you have to make those changes. But yeah. I've not yet figured out how to not lose that closeness when you grow. Yeah. Yeah, and you, I know in the so the I, the martial arts the Aikido school that I was part of, we did. My goodness gracious, there was probably one, two, like three or four. Like it depends. Like, do you count it when you were using the space in the karate school? You know, like there were like three or four times where the school was in different locations, and it was always the same people. And you could just like pick it up and move it, and you'd always have the core group that would go, and you'd like lose like the whole, mm-hmm. not not necessarily like the newbies, but just. People who really weren't hardcore suddenly weren't going to go to the sketchy street. Right. They weren't in the inner circle. Yeah, exactly. But that inner circle was like the same people. It would be like the same guys. We didn't like hang out in bars. But if we were going to dinner on a Friday night, it was the same people. Mm -hmm. And like I still know them. It's all the same people. And that core group is like what always kept it going. And they're still doing it like it didn't go away. But there's something about like every single community has that core group. But the core groups are different. Like if the core group mm. is the right kind of, it's like two, what did Johnny Hart said? Like, oh, I asked him for three words to describe that because he's like, oh, three's tough. Because like two's a comparison. And how do you put it? Two's a comparison. Like three's an analysis. Like it seems like when you bring the third human being in, mm-hmm. oh, now it's a group. Like two people was two. Three is a group. Four, oh, it's a gang. And and if like two of the people are flavor A and two are flavor B, this could go either way. As soon as you have three Bs, the two As drift away and the community is that other type. Right. And I'm kind of convinced it's just dumb luck 
to fall into a to a community that has the right core group and and that's just kind of like well and i think it magnetizes like the people will be magnetized to the type of community that has the people that they might relate to like mm. i mean i know i'm super type a and i'm an outgoing person and i have lots of energy and some of the people that i've attracted who work with the business and are part of my core team are like that too they're they're type a they're entrepreneurial they're ready to work Meanwhile, my best friend Andy is not like that. He's very reserved and very careful and cautious and methodical in what he does. And he's got people on his team who are similar, and they value that. And that that community is a different feel. And it doesn't lack anything. It's just different. Yeah, so I, I agree with you. I think it's like, I think it's like the, the core members of a team define what the team is. So right. the, the team is, a, is simply a result of who, who's a part of that team and not anything outside right. of that, which is interesting to think that all these organizations, big and small, are just the, the sort of sum and synergy of all those parts. Right. Yeah, my, my physics brain is having like this visual graph of like, yeah, you can only change the course so much mm -hmm. by who you put in there. It's, like, it's got to be within its parameters of yeah. what's based on who's, who's in a part of it. And there's a, there's a big piece of it too. If you're in a context of like, all right, it's an auto racing club. Well, now, now this is inherently competitive and, and no matter how you do it, you're always going to be out street racing and, mm -hmm. and that's always going to lead to a certain mindset. So I think that the number of and I just saw the term out parkour or whatever you want to call that. But that number of parkour groups that I've met that all seem to be that right magnetic center group is just like amazing. And, and I think it's partly that the parkour draws, I don't want to say it draw, I, I was going to say it draws people who are inherently self-assessing and like deeply philosophical, but that's not true. There's something about it that like reverberates that that self-perception that part of it is like concrete's hard. So like you can't lie to yourself. <laughs> right. Well, and, yeah, you have less, I think in parkour, you have less opportunity to, to be dishonest with yourself. I mean, I thought I was the best martial artist in the world for some period of time. Maybe it was <laughs> age nine to 10. Maybe it was 17, to 18. I'm not going to tell, but <laughs> maybe it was nine to 18. I'm not going to tell, but you know, you can lie to yourself because there's no real way to prove yourself unless you go get in a bunch of fights and, yeah. and even so. But when you're in parkour, yeah, the concrete gives you instant feedback Yeah, and your own body gives you instant feedback and the people around you six give you instant feedback. Six it's, feet it's, yeah, exactly. It's, like, there's, it's, it's very black and white. So there is that benefit to parkour in the sense that, yeah, it, it's totally truthful. But I think there's also a part of parkour that is it forces exploration. Like even if you don't get into parkour, like I really value self-exploration. So I'm going to take up parkour. Like that's not what anybody does. Yeah. But once you're a couple of years into parkour, you're like, Oh, I tripped over this part of myself that I didn't expect to do. Even beginners, yeah. you see it in their first class. They balance it. Go, I didn't realize I could do that. Or I, I, now I want to try this thing. And you know, that scared the bleep out of me. And I right, wasn't expecting right. that. And, right. and, and I don't, now I have to go home and think about why I was afraid of something I didn't yeah. even know existed. So there, it's kind of impossible not to explore yourself. I think in parkour, so you do end up with mm. people who commit to the activity of parkour end up being sort of are in the habit of exploring themselves, which is a form of self-reflection. I guess it's just a different phrase to say the same thing. Right. So, yeah, it, it's like an inherent quality of the practice, I guess. Mm. Therefore, an inherent quality of most of the communities, as long as the practice is, I'm going to say, true. Mm. Since you have access to a database of people, I'm just like, oh, do you have any idea... Obviously, we're you know in the United States, East Coast, Northeast Corridor. But do you have any idea about like the kinds of people? Like, if you had to, like you're gonna play, you know, we're gonna turn this into Las Vegas. They walk in the door. You have one second to decide: is this somebody who wants to train, somebody whose kid wants to train, somebody whose 
wife sent him because the daughter is interested, but the daughter's afraid they're trouble to dad. Like, it seems to me like you'd be able to just start playing the classification mm-hmm. game. And I'm just wondering, like, how does American culture cook down into these? Does it cook down into bins? Just, I love to categorize people. Hmm, I don't know. I haven't given that much thought before. I always feel like I'm able to identify it. Like once people see what parkour is a little bit, hmm. like you'll see the parents who see their kid jumping around and they're like, I want to try that. <laughs> they're leaning but on, but well, they like don't. The guy was leaning on the wall. Was, right, I'm right. Exactly. Like, this is a guy yeah, who clearly <laughs> wants an excuse <laughs> Just get to come here. down on the floor. Exactly. No, you did that to someone last week. That was great. <laughs> But yeah, so you'll see that look in their eye of like, I used to be able to do that. And then I think that splits into two different people. There's the ones who are like, I'd really like to try that. That like, I I miss playing as a kid. Mm -hmm. And then there's the dad who's like, I used to be really good at that. But now I'm not going to because I already was. So then, yeah, that's just how much ego and insecurity is in the way, I think. But then there's the more honest people who are like, I I would actually like to get get back into being able to and valuing that kind of thing. So yeah, I think there's like a type that as soon as they see it, it resonates with them. So there's probably some, I don't know, I'm guessing there's some great experience in their younger life that had to do with play or movement that, that as soon as they see it, they can identify it. You know, that little like... It resonates. Yeah, yeah. there's like a little like spotlight somewhere in their brain that, that gets lit up hey, when they see it. Like, hey, I remember that. And that's a really positive thing for me. But that's not true for everybody. I'm sure people have yeah, I had just none like, or the oh, opposite. Wait, if that's one, then the opposite. It's right, also the other people be traumatized true too. by, I was the last kid to get picked Right, right. And I think I that's when you hear, you hear the excuses when people like, that's... I run into those people when you... They're not looking at parkour, but they hear about it and they're like, oh, cool, parkour. And you're like, yeah, you should try a class. And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm very (laughs) – here's a new one nobody's heard. I'm naturally clumsy, so I'm not going (laughs) to – you and every person I've ever spoken to is naturally clumsy. That can't be right. The the average of clumsy is much different than I thought it was because everybody thinks they're clumsy. So, yeah, then you know, there's some experience that somebody got made fun of for tripping down the stairs. And then when they see people jumping on stairs – they go, well, I don't know. I can't do that. Thing, I'm, I'll yeah. trip and fall on my face again. Yeah, which I've literally never seen happen in my life. I don't think I've ever fallen on my face, but I tend to do a forward roll now when I trip. Right, right. Yes. <laughs> Over my scotchy. I almost did that for coming out of my favorite cafe one day. Death by scotchy. Death by scotchy. We all, that's... <laughs> I'm willing to accept. Sasha. <laughs> Darn it, Sasha. What have you done? <laughs> we were talking before about business and parkour, and I think that's a really interesting one. Mm, business. Um, mm-hmm. I'd be curious to... <laughs> Explore my own thoughts because, yeah, because is our parkour and business exclusive? Exclusive, not obviously not entirely. That's clearly not true. But are they in some way, shape, or form exclusive from each other? Is it impossible to have a true parkour experience and also make a profit or have standardized systems? And here's where I was actually thinking about this. I was talking to a martial artist a few weeks ago, and they were struggling because their curriculum they consider it to be a very good curriculum as in like really good, important concepts where it's like good, valuable concepts of mm-hmm, movement mm-hmm. were, were built into it. And they were, they were noticing that the results at you know, the black belt tests or whatever were that the kids weren't as good because they spent so much time focusing on these concepts and these yeah, theories, the soft skills right? that, yeah, that it wasn't really a, the kids weren't absorbing it. So they would just be not as sharp with their specific techniques and be kind of lost conceptually because mm. they weren't picking that up either. Also, nobody seems to care because they're seven and they just want to punch and kick. And even many of the adults are like, I just want to work out. Don't tell me about, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. splitting the center of a so-and-so and right, whatever. Right, right, right. So I had a discussion with him and he was like, well, what do you think the right thing to do is? And I said, well, that's tough because, I mean, I teach a kid's parkour program and I don't really think we do a great job of teaching like the essence of parkour to 
seven-year-olds. Yeah. I mean, we pretty much teach them like a bag of tricks of movements. Like here, here's this move, this move, that move, that right, move. Right. Here are the ways to do this move and that move and do it better next time. And yeah, we like bake in some values and stuff. And I think that's important, but it's still not parkour as I experience it or you've experienced right. it because right. there's that deep exploration essence that mm-hmm. we really can't like build into a curriculum. So we don't focus on it. So we kind of don't teach it. Mm-hmm. So are we teaching parkour if it's missing all the like spirit elements of it? I don't know. So I'd be curious to see or yeah, curious to ex- explore that idea of like, are you automatically taking some of the spirit of parkour away as soon as you add a structure to it? And we were just talking about this concept with community. Do you take some of the heart away right. when you add structure and the ability to scale to parkour or to community or to business? It's an interesting topic, I think. Well, there's Dunbar's number, the 150 thing, the, the size of the monkey sphere. Like you, uh, mm, yeah. I forget who Dunbar was, but the, the idea is that you, you can't have more than 150 deep relationships with other people before you're, you're like somebody has to fall out of the space. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm just like wondering, like you know, that occurs to me, like what if part of the problem here is the size of the? I always love the monkey sphere euphemism. The problem is the size of the monkey sphere. So not just as a student in the community, but as the person who's supposed to be leading the community, how many people can you actually lead before you're no longer leading an assembly of individuals, like a, right. a community of individuals where you're just like, all right, now I'm trying to lead like a division of soldiers. Well, screw it, line up in rows and everybody follow me, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if part of the issue that we were seeing about how the how a community might grow and magnetize and scale like there might just be like you can't have a community with 12,000 people in it that's not what a community of human beings is right and then if you if you swallow that then the question becomes well as then i think the answer to your question becomes as long as the structure that i whip up is only designed to fit to the size of the community then okay we'll take it but if I have to put together some crazy Rube Goldberg thing that would scale to 12,000 people, mm-hmm. what am I building? Because this isn't going to be a community that's just a thousand times bigger. Right. Well, so and if you look at it, like that's what the martial arts community had to do. Because one of the things we value about parkour is there's, there isn't that like hierarchy and structure in place, right? It's just you and me and we're hanging out. You don't have to call me anything. You don't have to like, right. there's no assumed Grand authority. Poobah, right? <laughs> right. It's just that we're just training together. And I think that's really valuable, but I guess... That's how martial arts solve that problem. Well, how do we teach 100 students at a temple? Well, there needs to be a chain of command now Mm -hmm. because one instructor can't possibly do that, can't have that leadership, that relationship with all the students. So there's got to be someone beneath them who's responsible for 20. and, And that happens in business and organizational structure too, right? You have chain of command. So now you've got the vice president who's responsible for the general manager and the general manager takes care of those 50 employees. Right. But the relationship between the employees and the CEO now is so distant and if the CEO is the one who's sparking the culture, then there's going to be a disconnect no matter what you do because, yeah, because it has to channel. Way. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, there's, there isn't the feedback loop from the originator of the culture to the employee. So it just kind of spreads, fades, and grays itself mm-hmm. out. And that's I think that's inherent. So the question is, as you grow parkour, is it inevitable to lose some of that spirit just in the ability to share it? Or another question would be... <laughs> I didn't even dissect that one. I right, yeah, no, question. I know. Well, <laughs> I, I guess this is related. Whatever the founders experienced as a group of eight or nine teenage kids together, right. how much of what they did have we already lost? Because now there's tens of thousands of us, mm-hmm. and there used to be eight. Because right. I don't have a closeness with anybody that I train with, anyone, that's probably akin to David and Sebastian, right. or Jan yeah, and, and Williams, or any of them. Right. So it's interesting. I, I can't even imagine what has gotten lost, is currently getting lost, or will in the future get lost in translation because, well, it just can't be that small. 
Yeah. I was going to say that obviously depends on who the leader of the community is. So if we're talking about uh, Craig's trying to make a community and then I need to monetize this and turn it into a business, it also depends on who I am. So you could have like a really like, okay, if, you know, if, if somebody has to be in charge of wielding, you know, who's, who's in charge of the Death Star? We're going to pick the mm-hmm. right person. <laughs> right. Pick the wrong person. This is going to end really quickly, right? <laughs> <laughs> to find other ways to motivate them. <laughs> I find your lack of, what was that? I find your lack of motivation. <laughs> yeah. I find your lack of profitability. <laughs> Deeply disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're off in Star Wars land. Uh, where were we going with that? I don't know. Where were you going with that? Oh, I think I was just rambling on about the, not that there's always one leader, but if you talk about mm-hmm. the leader of the community, if that person has the right mindset. Hey, see what they did there. Um, if that person has the right mindset, then they're going to automatically, you mean that mover? Yes. They're going to automatically be self aware. And I forget where I first heard. If you are self aware enough to ask yourself whether or not you are doing the right thing. Okay. Then you're probably doing the right thing. Even if you're doing the wrong thing, you're aware of asking. That's the right process. So there are some people, I'm not naming any names. There's some people who I can think of who like should not be leading or teaching anyone anything, let alone parkour. And I'm not thinking of particular parkour. I'm just like thinking of humans that I can think of in my monkey sphere who should not be given, you know, access to other people. And then there are other people who I know who don't teach anything to anybody. I'm like, that person would be just a wicked teacher, mm-hmm. like wicked good way, like wicked awesome. And so I think it's this huge multidimensional luck crap shoot about like who started the community who magnetized onto them? Like they get three of the wrong people and then they drift mm. out or they get the right people. So like who, and then who showed up next? And then do they understand that they should try and keep it small enough, but let it be big enough that it gets economy of scale. And there's like a whole, right. Because I think if you, if you stick to like your values and principles and like the, the, you know, spirit pillars of what you started with, you should magnetize the right people. Like I, I feel like in many ways I've been lucky enough to have magnetized amazing people onto the team who helped me continue to push what I want parkour to be in this community. And I, I hope that that's because I've done a good enough job at sticking to my values and my principles and my, you know, spiritual pillars. So I think that that has a lot to do with the success. So I guess the question is yeah. like, are those, are those pillars strong enough to hold and can there be enough pillars I mean, I guess it's, maybe it's just a math problem, right? I guess maybe I need enough, like if I have enough pillars to hold up what needs to be held up for X number of people mm. in order to double that, do I need yeah, double the, <laughs> double the, double oh, the number of pillars, which if it can't come from me, then, <laughs> right. you know, you need a partner, you need someone else who, who, yeah. who also has those. And maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's that you can grow at the rate of how many people can hold the balance and mm-hmm. you like, like hold the flame for however bright you need this light to be. Yeah. Then there's the whole complexity of just the literal business infrastructure. It's like, as soon as you say, I'm going to try and do things the right way. And then Mm -hmm. you like start talking to, I guess you should call an accountant, you know? And then he goes, what about, and he gives you like the short list of like the stuff that you really need to do, you know? And they give you like four things. You're like, I have never even heard of those four things. So then you pick off those and then you wind up finding out about sales tax. Right. Right. You're just like, ah. Yeah, and do your parkour values help you through that? No, no, no you don't know do what not. they're doing what really anymore. Really helps you is to know. I, there's like a really important lesson one everyone has to learn. Like there are some things you want to figure out, and some things you want to pay money pay to somebody have else done, to do. Right? Exactly. And that's that's like like payroll. Don't try to do your own payroll. It's just too complicated. Mm-hmm. But even the whole idea of 
all right, you know, it's me and seven people and we have a parkour community. I'm air quoting community because we just get together and jump on stuff. Right. We have a great time. You know, we go to events and then we say, all right, let's try and grow this thing so we can get some cash so we can pay to go, you know, have people pay so we can go to events. So you just like, all right, everybody give me 20 bucks. And then suddenly right. you start like, well, it doesn't matter because I live in my mom's house. But then you're like, well, no, actually, if I have a house and like this person breaks his ankle and I don't know him that well, mm-hmm. he could sue me. And I know I'm, I sound like an American now, but like but, that's well, where I live. We are. Yeah, <laughs> we are Americans. <laughs> that's where I live. Well, let me check my pulse. Yeah, I'm yeah. American. And then like, okay, so. Faster than most. Yeah, why don't I just make a limited liability corporation? How complicated could this be? And then you mm-hmm. like, oh, it just like spirals out of control. Yeah. So my personal opinion is just that, like, I'm a big fan of orders of magnitude. So like a hundred people doing parkour is like a good size community. That's a, that's a pretty, like, if you can, like, if you can't name everybody in the community, because you have to think about it, now right. you're, you're getting there. Right. But that's almost big enough to run a business. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, I don't care where you are. That's just, that's how it works in Western capitalist right. society. In martial arts, in so then it's like, anything, yeah. If I say, all right, you know, and I'm not asking for numbers, but if I say, okay, like if you had a thousand people, you'd be like, oh, I can make it work at a thousand people. And then it's like, yeah, but I, my monkey sphere doesn't fit a thousand mm-hmm. people. Now I can't have the community. I, I think the problem is just fundamental to like the scale of human socioeconomic. Yeah. Big word epistemology. No, it's true. Anthropological. <laughs> yeah. I study the etymological root of the epistemology <laughs> yeah, like, of the Anybody remember in Living Color, the TV show in Living Color, where right. Damon Wayans used to sit in a jail cell, you know, in a skit, and he would he would sit there and, like, hold court with all the prisoners in the cell, and he'd be like, the anthropomorphization <laughs> of the dimethyl, you know, and he would, he would just, like, go. And then I'll be like, whoa, that's so That guy's deep. so smart. <laughs> I don't remember what that, what that that's, character's that's, name was. That's why I teach kids, Craig. We talked about ADAPT courses before, and we modified our course in the U.S. to have like a small section that we dedicate just to teaching children mm. because it's amazing how many people teach children but have no knowledge base or even just fundamentals of like what is behavior management. And people are like, um... <laughs> is that the carrot or the yeah, stick? Is that the right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what are some tools to use when a child's misbehaving and they're like, Taser? I would. Uh, <laughs> and they have no idea. Yeah. Um, which is, I mean, to an education person, it's like, what? You know, those. <laughs> this is all you do. But to a person who's just been doing parkour, yeah, why, should why would I study children's well, we had, psychology? Yeah, we've had this conversation. Uh, well, actually, I think. This conversation happened once I was sitting at the table. It wasn't between me and you, but we had this conversation once about the difference between parkour. So you take an assessment course, the assessment (laughs) of one's ability Mm -hmm. as opposed to, or in comparison to one's ability to convey that knowledge to completely unrelated. Well, not completely unrelated, but very, very different things. And I, we don't have to dive into like how adapt deals with that if you don't want to, but I'm just like, I know that. Oh no, it's true because and I got exposed to the third and then fourth level of this, which was really interesting because, first of all, you're you know the first layer is just can can you do parkour and that that's the one thing and then and of course adapt is like are your parkour techniques correct? Like day one is often about let's correct all those little like when yeah. you land you slap the ground with your arms. No, you don't. Please stop doing that. <laughs> slap outs are not a thing anymore. That was very two thousand and five, and then and then you start coaching parkour. So now I'm not looking at their parkour movement. I'm looking at. What are yeah, your actual, you know, do you understand how to coach? What's the line management supposed to be like? What's the time management supposed to be like? What's the format of your lesson planning, et cetera. So then you look at that. That's one step beyond. And then there's, I look at myself as a self-reflective person. I'm going, okay, when I'm presenting to people about presenting parkour 
about parkour <laughs> is my is presentation format about how they present their information about parkour. Good. <laughs> and then I realized as I was doing all this, like, like examining myself as a tutor, like, well, what are the, like, do I use a whiteboard? How, what's the correct right. method? Should it be more, you know, what's the feedback? Do we be stand? Like, do we sit? Yeah, do, do we stand? Really? Exactly. All those different presentation skills. As you're becoming a tutor, there's somebody who's training you to be a tutor. So they are watching you tutor a bunch of coaches who are presenting parkour to students who are trying to do parkour. And then there's this fourth level that, and of course I'm, I like putting, I'm like you, I like putting my brain up there. So I'm like, if I were in his position, yeah, I just keep backing out until I, what what kind of feedback can I give him about giving me feedback, about giving the coaches feedback, about giving feedback to the students. So yeah, it's really interesting to look at all the different levels of that. But I studied communication in college. That's my thing. So I'm always fascinated by you know, what are the different levels of and skills required to take information and convey it, whether it's information about information or information about information about information about yeah, information. Yeah. It's it's about, really a fun I wasn't laughing at you just there. Sorry. I just I just laughed and like made your train of thought like to stutter. And what I was laughing at was Andy Keller made a comment at my ADAPT1 certification. I did the thing you're never supposed to do, which is teach a class on flow, and I did it just to be a dick. Mm. And I didn't plan this, but I did a movement screen immediately upon beginning. So they handed me a class of like, you know, other instructors who were pretending to be students. It was like nine people, like, you know, and go. And I think Andy Keller was running it. He basically like hit the start on the stopwatch. And just because I knew it was pressed for time, I gave them effectively a movement screen. These are all parkour people, but I'm pretending. So I gave him a movement screen, and I basically had the class moving in like three seconds. Mm-hmm. So Andy was like, that was like awesome. Do that. Over. And then the critical comment was, you might want to turn off the radio, Craig. Because what I did to them was I had them running a, a route back and forth across a double pair of railings with just too much space in the middle to really make it easy to flow. So you had to mm. really work I on know exactly like, what rails you're talking uh, about. Yeah, Chris, I'm right. So I gave them this, like, you know, going back and forth. And then there were too many of them for me to really work with. So I was just like circling and walking and moving through the group, trying to give individualized instruction to each person. Mm-hmm. But what I was often doing, which I learned this from martial arts, was when I saw something people were doing wrong, don't give them that's wrong. What I would do is I would wander away and I would cue them up in my head. And when I got like two people further down, like you're, I'm so meta, mm-hmm. get like two people down the row. The thing that I didn't want them to do, I would give them the positive version of the change. So like if you're doing Kodagaish with the wrist, don't grab here. You know, instead of saying don't, I would say put your fingers this way. Mm-hmm. So, but this means that I never stopped talking. So right. <laughs> like 15 minutes, I just walked up and down the road. Just repeating instruction you know, for like, you. Bah, 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 bah. And, and Andy goes, yeah, that was like Radio Craig. He, was, he said, one good thing about it was some of the students, and, and I did notice it, but some of the students would tune me out. Right. And there were some students there who had been like doing these, were doing like learning games where we're pretending we're students. They were so sick of it. They just wanted to jump on shit. Right. And they were just like, they just like turned me off. Right. Okay, <laughs> good. Someone's talking. Uh, and I get they the just jump. vaulted right. the rail, hoping right. I would never Time say to train stop. for 10 minutes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just like going. And I, I was like, you know what? They're working on flow. <laughs> Which is like another layer of meta. That whole train of thought, that's what made me laugh when you were talking mm-hmm. about meta. I was like, oh, that meta conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So now every time I start talking, every Andy Keller, every time I start talking, I think Radio Craig. Right, right. Andy says, don't be Radio Craig. <laughs> he says, yeah. into the broadcast quality microphone. Yep, yep. No, but it's true. <laughs> Wait a minute. You're already Radio Craig. Yeah, no, it's true. And, I, of course, as a talkative coach, I have a, a similar problem. That's feedback we always have to give people on the ADAPT courses. If you're always talking, it feels like you're being super helpful, but then everything becomes sort of white noise and they just go, okay, all right, I'm, I, I can't mm-hmm. listen to you all the time because I need to also pay attention to my movement. Right. And then so they just switch it off as opposed to like Andy's approach. It's like I'm going to not talk 
And then all of a sudden say three words, right, and right. they're the most important three words, words you need right now. Yeah. And everybody hears them, which is a good approach. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's interesting to see the different methods. I would assume that varies. I can imagine like I've been in scenarios where the person who was coaching, we're physically spread out. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh, yeah, now you're literally running around, literally talking all the time. But that's from the student's experience. Correct. Coach They're getting 20% right of, of, yeah, Radio Craig. Yeah. And then it's just like, oh, we're going to bring it back to that. Every Which time. is our Craig. <laughs> it's missing the other four pieces. It's good math. Radio keg. <laughs> Radio keg. Radio egg. <laughs> oh, yes. You know, ra- random non sequitur. Just the other day, this is how oblivious I am. So I use Craigslist. Mm-hmm. And like three days ago, it occurred to me, like, I mean, I know that it has my name on it, right? right. It's not, it's not actually my thing, but like, it didn't occur to me that everybody else would find that. Would like make that connection. Yeah. Like, yeah. so, I mean, I, I always think like, yeah, I never had the idea. It just happens to have my name on it. And I was selling a desk or something. And like, I realized that the guy was super, I mean, he was super confused to the whole, like in the email exchange, I'm like mailing him and he, he I just, I just signed my email. Craig, Craig, obviously. And when like we get to the exchange, he's like, what? And then like, it just never occurred to me that everybody else, like all 7.9 billion other people would have a completely different experience to bumping into someone whose name was Craig mm-hmm. while using Craigslist. And I was just like, wow, how could I have been so oblivious to miss that connection? Mm-hmm. I'm just, I don't know. But yeah. I think you're the only Craig I know at I, all. Uh, I, I've been running into more and more of them now. I think it's coming around again. Is it? I went to school, believe it or not, with one other Craig. I remember his last name. There was another Craig in class with me, and there were two Gregs, one in my grade, one oh, one. No. So the hey, Craig, Greg. the Craig, Greg, Greg, huh? Greg thing was the generation like I was born in seventy one, mm-hmm. and that, that was like a that was the, the period when the moms all went like, oh, let's use Craig. I don't know where it came from or whatnot. Interesting. Yeah, but oh, mine was at the top of my name. My father's sister, she was an English teacher at the uh, Muhlenberg as a. I'm on the way. I like a rug. She had her PhD in English from Muhlenberg and she taught in Salisbury. Anyway, I digress. But my dad and his sister didn't get along so well. She went and stabbed them with a fork. <laughs> stabbed them with a fork? <laughs> stabbed them with a fork. He was, of course, now to, to her credit, he was taking the fork and squeaking it on the plate to piss her off. So she grabbed the fork out of his hand, stabbed him in the dull plate. And like the fork stuck in his shoulder. <laughs> and this is dinner table, like mom and dad and the thing, you know, right? and like, the, and they just, they all just like looked up and then went back to eating. And my dad's like, like through his shirt, like through his t-shirt. I just want to know what she would have done if he was nails on the chalkboard. Would yeah, you, would you... No, I don't know. She would have probably shot him. Anyway, she was, <laughs> anyway. Because you can't stab nails. Yeah, so the point of this story was, so my mom and dad named me Craig. Now the question is, how do you pronounce C-R-A-I-G? If anybody is still listening, I don't know why. If, how do you pronounce C-R-A-I-G? Everybody that I know says Craig, because that's how I say Craig. Right. But my aunt used to always, I mean, without fail, go Craig. Craig. She would always pronounce C-R-A-I-G. Egg. And, and like my, my dad and his sister would be like at Christmas dinner and she would look at me and go, Craig, would you pass it? <laughs> and like, they'd have like this little look over oh, the table. Gonna... I'm just like, yo, what's up with that? <laughs> so anytime somebody ever says Craig with the long A sound, I'm like, I get this flash of my Aunt Carol. It's right. Like, St- staring at everybody intentionally. Well, no, well, she only, I mean, she always pronounced it that way, but she just would like always, like if she'd be talking to me and my dad was in the next room, she'd like look at him and go, Craig, when like, you know, like you who can't even pronounce your son's name, you know, like that's just the way they were. Yeah, I would apparently not. Yeah, no, well, my my parents didn't get to, not for me, for my sister. Her name is, well, it depends whether you talk to her or her birth certificate. (laughs) Um, But if you talk to her, her name is Nada, like N A D A, like the Spanish word for nothing. Uh, Unusual name. Uh, But my parents intended for her first name to be Nada Rose. 
and no middle name, and then the last name. Mm-hmm. Uh, but oh, the they, birth certificate people were like, just, oh, no, no, hy- no, oh, just, which is a horrible planning. They can't put a space in there, right? And expect nothing either. to happen, right? So then her middle name became Rose, and oh, my sister is very non-standard to the world, so she didn't want the name Rose. Like that's not her thing. So she just goes by Nada, and my poor parents are like, we had a plan. And Nada Rose is this beautiful harmonic name. <laughs> nope. Yeah. nope. She gets this Best Spanish name. Yeah, mice and men. Yep. We should talk about knees. <laughs> what do we need knees to talk to about talk next, about? Greg? Do you, want to, do, do you feel a need to discuss <laughs> topics that involve neuroplasticity? And it's not... <laughs> Yeah, I had. Uh, was that after a point in time? Where was that? When that was, was that? in was that? March of 2017. March of 2017. Uh, so it was. It, okay, it's so a long it time ago the, now. But it was. Why didn't we talk about that the first time we talked? Because you hadn't done it yet. Right. <laughs> yes, that's correct. I was a normal person then. Yeah, I mean, that was an interesting thing. I was just talking. I don't know who I was talking to. Actually, I was talking to my sister. I called her. It was her birthday recently. And I called her because she's she had like a sort of a long-term back injury. And I had this knee injury. We had it at a similar time. We're both like active, adventurous people. We were both talking about like, wow, like we're really old now. Like we, we're hurt and we think about ways that we might get hurt. <laughs> right. Exactly. But yeah, I, I mean. might have t-shirts older than you. You probably do. <laughs> I might have t-shirts older than me. That's <laughs> First of all, though. so that doesn't even mean anything. But yeah, so I mean, I was pretty much injury-free my whole life. I like kind of broke my wrist as a kid when I fell off a scooter and I sprained my ankle a couple times, like falling off a motorcycle. But nothing, like no surgeries. Yeah. Uh, never really had any major surgery in my life, so I was like t- totally a foreign concept to me. And then yeah, total freak accident. Snapped the patellar tendon in my left knee. So my kneecap was like a quarter of the way up my thigh, if you can imagine that, because the wow. tendons hold it in place. So I've heard like, this story. No, I'm not it imagining yeah. it. It's, it's very the, weird. The fix was mind-boggling. When you explained what they did, I was mm-hmm. like, okay, that's brilliant. Well, yeah, because, I mean, I know they sometimes – I was really concerned because I know the patellar tendon's under a ton of force all the time. And I, I got to test that out in real life, which was really fun. So I was lying there, like with – Knowing that something was wrong with my knee, I felt a big pop and like it wasn't bending because when I tried to bend it, oh, it, right. it was like something was in the way because the bones were in the wrong place. But I, had, I felt no pain, which was just a, a freak thing. Like the nerves got severed with the tendon, I guess, is what they tell me. So I felt no pain. I was just sitting there like, this is weird. So I was, I, my kneecap was way up there, right? And I was like, I, maybe it's just like, I know, I know. <laughs> Patellas. Maybe I just push that back. Maybe I just push Sorry. that back. That's always the first thought to an injury like that. But I know that kneecaps can be dislocated. So I was like, maybe it's just like at a place because it didn't hurt. And I was like, if I like did something bad, I'm pretty sure I'd be in a lot of pain right now. And I had no pain. I was like, maybe it just. So I like tried to push it, just like see if I could shove it back into place. And I will tell you, I probably it probably had to move like six or eight inches to get back to the normal spot. And my arm was shaking from maximum strength. I'm trying to push, to push the it to, and to hold it where it's supposed to be, like on top of the knee no, joint. Like it was all of the strength of my one arm mm. just to keep it there. So like tie a string to that and then hold that string, and that's what your patellar tendon is doing all the time. Like right now, as <laughs> you're sitting I'm, in the chair, I'm crossing my legs to unload my ACL. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Relax that leg. So incredible. I've learned that for a second. It's amazing. And I'm sure all the tendons in our body are like that yeah. all the time. It's just absolutely amazing to think about. But anyway, so I'm playing with my kneecap, trying to like see if it works and if it can go back there. And it didn't. 
and I could feel the front of it. And like I, I could feel yeah. that. Why is there? I touched my other knee. I'm like, oh, there's an inch wide, like very tense tendon over there. And I come over here, and it's like pressing on Jello. There's nothing there. So it was totally detached. So I thought, like, as I started thinking through it in my head, I'm like, man, like, how are they going to? I know in other surgeries they'll like take tissue like from somewhere else in your body <laughs> and reattach it. But as I'm like experiencing the amount of force, I'm like, is that together? even possible? <laughs> yeah, like, how does this work? I'd never heard of this injury. ACLs, MCLs, that's normal, but this is not normal. So long story short, the procedure they do, and I tell this story any chance I can because That's it, why I brought it up. It hurt. Tell the story. Yeah, is they take the kneecap and vertically, like long ways, they drill three holes all the way through it, like probably with an actual drill. I'd really love to see the drill they use because it probably looks like <laughs> the a drill dual. in my garage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Milwaukee, I hope. They'll step up the quality. The hammer. So they drill three holes that are all right next to each other, and then they send sutures thread some kind of something through those dental holes floss, right, right. yeah dental floss and then they weave it through the tendon that's all like bunched up at the bottom that's yeah, like snapped shin, you know, like right. a, a snapped rubber band type thing so they like weave it into that in a way that it's going to hold and then from the top of the kneecap they just like yank that thread up and increase the tension until it pulls the tendon all the way to the base of the kneecap again and, and theoretically it just it just yeah they tie it off on the top and it just readheres itself apparently pretty much fully so yeah. Assuming it works, like that was their Assuming, whole. Like, yeah, yeah, they, the whole, they, they the made idea it sound is, like, oh, we're just going to put this together. Right, yeah, just like don't you. move your knee for six weeks, and yeah, so that's you straight. know what I had to do. I had total atrophy and keep you know in a straight leg brace for a really long time, and then very slowly bending it again. And of course, you're you live in that constant fear of like, is it just going to like go again? Like you know, it's a, it happened once. Why why would it not happen again? So that's you know that's a scary part of the rehab when you know what could happen, but. I'll never forget the after the first few days, like because you know the the injury didn't really hurt, and then of course after the surgery there was like tons of swelling. My knee was a giant basketball, and and there was a lot of pain. I remember thinking like I don't I can't imagine like why this is so painful. It wasn't before. Like I had an, I had an incision on the front, but and then I don't know who reminded me or if I reminded myself or something. But somebody was like, yeah, like you have three fractures in your kneecap. That right. They did it. <laughs> Drilled three holes like, oh, to your. Oh right, oh, yeah, right. I have three fractures in my kneecap. That makes perfect sense. And if there's someone... like a whole, an entire capsule around the patella, and there's probably like a meniscus that they just oh, let's right through this. You know, mm. that, oh yeah, that yeah. yeah. Who knows like what a... they had to open up to get places and whatever. So right. yeah, so I, I realized, like, kind of respected my pain a little bit more. And I was like, right, I have three holes <laughs> in my, my kneecap. kneecap. Have a reattached thing and a, and a like a six. But inch. then they just leave. So the dental floss, as I was calling it, probably just biodegrades. It, yeah, it dissipates and so, organically. And the, I would assume that the holes in the uh, yeah they fill themselves, like, re, up like and, cal- wow. calcify themselves or whatever, and then they're gone. So it's it's pretty cool. Unlike a lot of surgeries, it's like totally. You know, you don't have bars and rods and screws in your body. You're just, it's just it just heals itself. Everything's done. Shout out to Austin, right? Yeah, hey, hey, Austin, who's <laughs> got a metal bar in his arm from one week prior to my injury. Yeah, uh, oh, yeah, that's right. That was the week where everybody had. my training changed those weeks as well. It was like, okay, I'm going for low impact. Yeah, I think we that went, was, You know, that might have actually been the beginning of the QM like obsession. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah, it was because I remember joining a little later once I was healthy. Like this would be good rehab for me. Yeah, we had. I'm gonna say for me it was at that point like ten years of parkour with zero major injuries whatsoever. One sprained ankle when I 
busted a front flip on no warm up when I was sixteen. That doesn't even that count. doesn't count. Yeah, um, <laughs> ankle and and Josh had no injury, and Austin had none of my guys that I trained with my coaches. None of them had any major injuries at all. Austin had a one from football way back when, but nothing with parkour. And it was so much fun to brag to people They're like, "What? How many times have you gotten hurt doing parkour?" And I could always never. be like, "Never, ha ha, <laughs> I'm not hurt at all." And then in like one month, and my coworkers who, of course, knew all these guys or knew the stories, who were like, oh, yeah, I mean, I guess maybe parkour is pretty safe. Like, yeah, maybe all the stuff Adam says is true. (laughs) One month later, uh, I'm I'm in a straight brace. And they're like, oh, can Josh build some Kevin? No, no, he tore his ACL last week. Oh, what about Austin? No, no, he's got got, his arm is broken in three places. That is the most spectacular injury I've ever seen that, Mm -hmm. like, people walked away from. Well, actually, he ran away screaming. but He didn't walk at all. Yeah, he (laughs) He ran ran away screaming. Ran away screaming. That's correct. I saw that one happen in real time. I was Me just too. like, that is not how you do a step fall pass over there. Yeah. yeah, he was speed vaulting something that was, I don't know, 10, 11 feet in the air. Yeah, how high is the high uneven bar? Yeah, yeah. However, hard, however high a gymnastic uneven bar is the top one. He like stepped off the lower one and then speed vaulted over the top one, but his hand kind of slipped. Yeah. So in that classic speed vault position, Google David Bell speed vault if you want to see. Uh, in that classic position, he's, you know, with the arms sideways and the legs air. out to the side. Yeah, he's... Yeah, higher than the bar. So, yeah, at least 12 feet in the air. He's just falling straight down. So his feet are not under him. He has nothing to stop him. And I I think he told me, he was like, I think my choices were like break some major part of my torso or stick my arm out and Mm -hmm. accept that that's going to be hurt. So he was like, I just accepted the arm. And I saw, like, I could see, I saw him fall. And it doesn't doesn't look like a good fall. And I saw his arm, like, crumple, you know, as it, and it was on a mat, but that doesn't really change anything at those heights because you go right through the foam straight to the ground. So I saw his arm kind of crumple, and I remember, like, in my head having this thought, like, that didn't look good. And I started, like, walk towards him, and he, and he up. just stood up with his arm and his, <laughs> on his, his hand on his arm and just yeah. forgot right. what he screamed. Something like, it's done or something. <laughs> yeah. And then just was, ran was, out of the and, room. Like, ran in Austin's fast. Right. Like, like, and, of course, I'm, I'm in the middle of coaching a class with, like, 15 yeah. other people. Many are beginners, and, you know, yeah. they, they, I don't think many actually saw what happened. But No, it was some people saw, but it was pretty quick. It was just Yeah, like, I don't think they realized the intensity of what had happened. So I went and sit next to him. I was like, everyone take a break <laughs> so while I take a break mentally. <laughs> and I went and sat next to him. I was like, how's it feel? And he's like, like clearly the pain is setting in. And I'm like, I look at his arm and I see that there's blood. <laughs> yeah. And then I did the math in a second. I was like, well, he didn't scrape it on anything. There shouldn't be any blood. So yeah, why is there? Well, yeah, no. It's coming in from the other side. And then, yes, off to the hospital he went. And four days later, I think it is, I did my knee. It was really something. Bad luck, bad time. God, and then we decided to build a gym yeah, by, with our own hands like creeping me within out. the next few months. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we always I make the joke. I make the joke all the time. The most dangerous thing in gyms when doing parkour is the expletive mats. Mm-hmm. And I almost fell over a mat the other night. I like, <laughs> I was like, this little cheesy little. I'm doing like this really big four foot running precision, <laughs> right? <laughs> really, really. But it was up. I had like the the thing I was yeah, jumping yeah, on was like six was, inches higher was than the totally thing I was. Respectable. It was, no, it scary. wasn't. It was pathetic. It was. It was However, scary. the run up was a little weird because there was like a bar on the floor and you had to dodge an angle. And Miguel's doing running prees at me and they were <laughs> swinging on the bar behind me. And unbeknownst to me. I'm like backing up. Somebody slid a crash mat in underneath, mm, <laughs> back into the crash the mat. Worst. I'm like, what? You didn't fall over. Catch my balance. I'm like, let's sprain my ankle on the crash mat. Let's, backing up for the run up. That's true, though. I mean, I think change elevation is one of the biggest risks of injury. So yeah. that's what mats are. They're not standard heights. It's like uh, trying to walk through a gymnastics gym is like, yeah, your knees are at your shoulders the whole time because you're just stepping up and over yeah, and around things. And that's how you hurt yourself. Yeah, totally. 
Humans are pretty well, good at walking on flat the, surfaces. Uh, who did I have a conversation? I'm never going to remember. I had a conversation with someone, imagine that, who said that, you know, something clever like human beings capacity for self-preservation is amazing something mm -hmm. like that and i was like yeah, yeah that's patently obvious but when you actually see people go into a purpose-built parkour space or when they go to an outdoor class it's amazing how many people just like don't do stupid stuff yeah they look at it and they're like mm, nope, nope. <laughs> yeah <laughs> nope not doing that yeah we'll put something soft in front of them and it's like they go nuts you know they're super crazy but if you take like a just a wooden box and then put it in front of them, and you're like, all right, jump up on that. Suddenly they're like meticulous, mm, and they climb, and they put their knee and their elbow, and they step up, and mm. then they're like, now what? And that's great. That's what you want. You want them to kind of have that sensation. Adults are really not that different, um, except that when you put something soft in front of an adult, they're a little less likely to just like run and jump and land on their head like right. the three-year-old is because they're still made of rubber. But no, it, the principle is totally true. It's fun to watch people. We talked about earlier those parents who are like, I want to go out and try that. They mm -hmm. come out and try it, and they see their kid you know, jumping on a box, and they're like, I feel like it's not that hard. <laughs> then they get there, <laughs> and they like realize, like, really hard. if I just, like, if my foot misses and my shin hits this, like, that would really hurt because mm -hmm. that's wood. Yeah. And then we all pull our pants like, yes, yeah, it does. Yeah, it look looks at our like scars. <laughs> <laughs> I've got seven today. <laughs> yes, uh, it's true. It's And that's why I support having a gym that has a lot of hard stuff because mm -hmm. I think people go through a more natural learning process that way than – and have less injuries because they do have that risk aversion, which is a healthy thing to have. Yeah. There's a, one of the, I was going to say parkour does itself a disservice. Like we talk about how great it is because it fosters this self-awareness and self-assessment and mm -hmm. challenge and like, you know, changing your perception of architects, all these things that are great about it. But I think one of the things that always works against it is because everybody, generally speaking, trains at like this long, gradual, they're just always getting better, that if you randomly get a snapshot of somebody doing parkour, it's generally not what, so let's say I'm walking by, what I would do on my first day might be, you know, two inches. Mm -hmm. But whatever I'm going to see, whenever I spot it in the wild, is going to be way bigger than that. Because right. the people who are out in the wild have been doing it for months or weeks or years. So parkour has like this, it does a disservice to itself because, well, you always just get better. So even if you're very cautious and careful, you're going to get better. Mm -hmm. And then somebody's going to see you doing it. And, and what made me think of this was like the nice school principal at the elementary school mm -hmm. and us balancing on the railing and, and like, uh, I'm not like the high wire person, but balancing on like a 30 inch standard railing is like, I mean, I have trouble envisioning ways it can go wrong, you know, right, I'm, anymore. I'm just like, yeah, yeah. I'm like it's a, totally safe. It's a relaxing yeah, activity for off, someone you know? like, you know, yeah. and I'm standing on this railing, you know, I'm like, kind of enjoying myself. And she came out like completely wigged out. Like just, she was like losing her marbles mm -hmm. just because the people on the railings were scaring her. And I was thinking like, you know what? There's actually no way that this, not, not that it went badly, but there's no way that it could have gone well because there's no scenario where that person could see human beings on railings and have it go well. Mm -hmm. uh, the only, like there's such a disconnect. Yeah. There's a, tons of missing context yeah. and that that's the context of experience. That is your parkour journey is totally missing. And you... I mean, that's why obviously in the, in the media, it's so hard to, yeah, like, grasp well, I, I, what I, I don't blame is. the media because like it's, it's oh no, yeah, no, it's not their fault. That's just a that's just. I, I was going to say, do you parkour outreach? Do you attempt to ever? I don't want to say manage it because I know you try to manage it, but like so, for example, uh, Andy's courses run in a more urban setting than mm -hmm. what yours normally do when you're outdoors. So I'm wondering, like, do you guys 
go to the effort of planning for like, all right, well, we're just generally going to try and make sure that some portion of all of our classes is always like readily visible from the busy street to try and build the groundwork for people seeing, you know, jumping or like, I'm just like thinking out loud. Do you or anybody that you know, do they ever go to the trouble of saying, well, let's do the beginner precision jumping technique, which is like people doing really basic looking things that look approachable. Let's do that over here where more people mm-hmm. are likely to see it. So it seems to, me, seems to me you could obviously you do the class management part of it, like what's the right spot to teach the technique. But do you ever factor in what's the right spot? Now, I've done all this other factoring, but now do you ever factor in like, oh, let's move this over there because right. it would be good the for outside the outside perception? Yeah. What's like, the... just, do you do that? Does anybody do that? I bet people do that. I don't think I'm putting a lot of thought into that when I'm doing Oops, classes, sorry. frankly. No, I think it's, <laughs> it's a good thought. It's valuable. I, I do know, know I've had conversations with Andy and he... He loves that his classes, the classes that he teach are in one of the major parks of Lancaster in Ben's Park. Every Wednesday night from 7 to 9, you should be there. And then... <laughs> are we missing it now? No, it's Tuesday. <laughs> uh, no, no, it's tomorrow night. But it's also right outside the police station. <laughs> like, it's the same building. It's like around the, the corner. Side, right? And if you go around the corner, there's some stuff to jump on, and it's like the entrance. So, like, the officers are walking by. Now... I'm going to say one out of every 10 officers are like, you guys shouldn't be doing this. And he's like, okay, I'll wait for the next officer to tell us we can. (laughs) The other nine. We'll keep going. Right, exactly. But for the most part, and it's totally normalized. So all the police officers know, you know, and it's a a government building. So it's not just police. It's also, you know, city officials and whatever. They all go in and out of there. So they know who he is. But it's interesting because I think he told me he was doing classes in the day. I don't know if it was a private lesson or, you know, something. But not the normal time that he does class. And he found that the people that he ran into going into that building were much more like suspicious or standoffish yeah. about what he was doing because he's just never worked that shift, so to speak. Oh, so the people he's who, just like, oh, this is my favorite part, but the big glowing ball is in the sky, right? <laughs> right, right. So, I mean, he, yeah, because he's doing evening classes and he's got whatever regular schedule he's got mm. going on. So when he's there at 3 o'clock and it's the 9 to 5 people, not the you know 2 to 9 uh, people, whatever, right, right. this totally different crew of people. And it had that effect you're talking about that. It's the same building, it's the same spot, it's the same training, it's the same people, but because they haven't seen it yeah, and they haven't audience, been exposed, they're not they're not audience. missing the context, or they are. They are missing the context. Right, those yeah. people are missing the context. It's a totally different experience for them. So yeah, yeah it, you're right. I think it's something people should think about. Well, I, I think a lot of people think about it. I was just wondering, like, you know, having done a couple of parkour classes, I'm just thinking, like, I wonder if you've ever, like, crawled up into that mental train of thought. I know a lot of people talk about... Well, one of the things I started trying to do was just for fun, collecting answers to the question, you know, you're out doing parkour and somebody walks up to you and says, mm-hmm. what are you doing? And that's a fun question to ask people. So go answer that question for yourself is, is to just like, think about that. And people, some people have different, like some people have like, I'm not going to repeat it, like answers like, and then other people are like, oh, I'm working on, you know, and they have people have different ways of yeah. answering that question. And that tells me that those people either have been approached a ton or they've put some thought into Here's an opportunity. Here's potentially an opportunity to convey some context right. to some. Random. Well, that's, that's actually. Can we call them muggles? Is is calling non-parkour people you a muggle? Can if you want. <laughs> I will neither confirm nor deny that I've utilized that term before. Yeah, no, we actually do that in the adapt course because I mean, as an assistant coach, literally sometimes that's your job is to take like <laughs> run interference well, on the yeah, cops. Yeah, right? run interference on or the grandpa who's like, "What are you guys doing?" In my and you can be like, "All right, you go talk to Mr. Yeah. Jones over there." But we'll we'll have them come up with a definition. It's a fun activity, actually. You get to kind of be a jerk, which I like because I'm good at it. And and they'll come up with a parkour or a definition. Like we'll help them write it out and we'll help them build it or whatever. And, and you're like their friend for a minute. 
Okay, well, what about this idea? Well, community. Oh, we want the community. Yeah, community. We'll put <laughs> that in them like this. Yeah, long. it's like this long <laughs> sentence. And so I'll, one, I'll make them recite it, and I'll be like, okay, well, go ahead. Like, let's pretend I'm random guy yeah. on the street and ready, go. Play and they're like, this. oh, hi, uh, but parkour is the uh, discipline I and just get out of here. Like, you of, shouldn't be doing this. I'm calling right, the cops. Right. Yeah, they can't even. <laughs> you only go. had two words. Yeah, it's a horrible like... definition in that context. And then you get to challenge it. So people, if people come up with their own, they'd be like, well, it's a discipline of, of philosophy and, and practice. Where philosophy? You where does that come yeah, from? Yeah, and right? then I like to be like, so, so you're saying you sit around and, and think? <laughs> and people are like, no, no, it's a, like we, it's a philosophy of movement. Like, okay, so you think about moving. You think about moving. I, I don't understand. <laughs> you're not actually moving. You're just... And, but, it, but it's actually it's a fun drill to run, and it makes people uncomfortable, but it makes them uncomfortable because they haven't explored mm. that space yet of like, I've explored it. It still makes me uncomfortable. Right. It's still, it is still uncomfortable. No, that's true. But I think that's part of what makes it so awesome is that right. it's really, really not obvious what's going on. No, it's not. And you, you have to figure out like, who am I talking to and what matters? Cause there have been plenty of times I've had someone come up and go, what are you doing? And I just go exercising. Yeah. I, it's just not, you know, within the context, it may not be necessary to say anything more than it, it may be most beneficial for them to go. Oh, okay. Weird yeah. guy exercising. And you then they go I right along. We had, I was just thinking like uh flashback. I, I was at, government center in boston not at an ardv just like i forget why it was there and i went to balance on the railings by the little raised stage mm-hmm. piece next to the crazy people in the security booth by mm-hmm. the okay normally there's not somebody in there but i went to balance on the rail and there was somebody in there and i put like one foot on the railing i hadn't even like i just put my Didn't foot on the railing yet, right? i hadn't even shifted my weight and I saw him look at me, and this is what I'm getting at here is we need like an international, not a gang sign, but like some kind of hand signal for like, am I freaking you out? Is this okay? <laughs> right, is this okay? Yeah. And then, and they would, like, I'm making hand gestures, and they would be like, dude, that's not cool. And then he'd be like, it's cool, okay. bro. And like, yeah, yeah, I'm I move. because we had an exchange like that, only the hand signals were crazy. It was, I was just like, are you, and he was just like, no, man. And then I, and I went away, and he, he was happy because he needed to come out of the booth. He was right, like, right. He got to stay in his little That guy was, outside. was cooperative. Yeah. So <laughs> I was just thinking, like, that guy probably had no clue what I was doing, or, right. I mean, it was like, just uncomfortable, so he was like, no. Yeah, but I would, like anybody who does parkour would have spotted me at three blocks, like parkour guy on railing. Right. But he had no clue, just a random bum in baggy pants, right? Mm-hmm. But somehow we were able to have an exchange where I didn't, in the least millimeter, push his context or boundaries. This is where I'm going with this. I didn't. Right. I didn't teach him or show him anything other than reasonable human being. Right. I'm, I'm a good person. Yeah. Yeah. Don't like everything's cool. Yeah. And I'm thinking, I know some people. I think who, who do the parkour salesmanship right. i mean the, the preach way. the preaching of what they do yeah but the preaching in a good way like, right yeah, yeah sure yeah. they're trying to them. evangelize the, the muggles into like oh i'm <laughs> doing <laughs> right <laughs> don't say the p word call them muggles oh. yeah but then, oh did that actually fall out i but thought there's you were some there's that. some like really <laughs> i'm gonna say like well-meaning people and and many of them are leaders in our community i yeah. think who you know any opportunity they have to expose to people to the magic yeah. of parkour they're like oh, i'm gonna stop my training and i'm gonna walk you through this but I, I think you have to be more sensitive than that because some people you know you try to sell them on this like yeah, no. amazing thing and they're and gonna they be like, think you're trying to talk them into like staying on the railing and i'm just trying to talk you right. about not freaking out right while and, i'm moving yeah, <laughs> or, or they just want their curiosity satisfied might yeah. be a group of teenagers who are just like yo that's cool i want to yell a joke out and you have to like okay well then i'm just gonna joke back and let you walk along yeah. like if you're really interested you know you kind of have to be a little more like emotionally intelligent about what people are really looking for when they're acquiring about what you're doing i think because Otherwise, I don't think you're adding a layer of like benefit mm. to the mm-hmm. actual education. You know, you have to just get a sense for what they want and let let them answer it. Because sometimes it's better to go, you know, I'm exercising, and they go, oh, okay. 
And if you see that person again and they approach you again, they can go, well, that's weird exercise. Yeah, what are you doing? Yeah, and I can go, oh, actually, the way I'm exercising is I'm like yeah. using obstacles around me. We actually call yeah. it parkour. It's this pretty is my cool. Challenge today, right, this right? is my thing. And they're like, oh, okay, neat, which is a lot better than the first time. What are you doing? And then you going, Oh, I'm oh, practicing a discipline where I overcome obstacles of efficient amusement. Right. A to B. That's A. This is B. I'm doing this. And <laughs> right. they're like, whatever, whatever, whatever. Yeah. You're whack. Yeah. Right. Please I'm get out of my, my property. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. You mentioned emotional intelligence and I've need a way to like bring up topics without saying I had a conversation once, except that's all I do is talk. So I had a conversation once about emotional intelligence and it was like in a negative way, like, well, some people aren't emotionally intelligent enough to be representing the parkour or, you know, the spirit and, and like those people do a disservice by they balance yeah. on rails. And then somebody says, what are you doing? And like, mind your own being like that. So mm-hmm. the, the conversation I was having was about somebody being critical saying that some people don't have emotional intelligence to be like representatives of right. the thing. Okay. And what I just thought of was, I don't remember what I thought at the time when I heard the conversation, but what I just thought was, oh, wait a second. Why should I, let's just point at me. Why should I have to be emotionally intelligent enough to represent this global phenomenon? Why can't I just stand on the railing? So I, I totally understand, like, I don't want to make it sound like I want to just be all apologetic. Like we should all set this magical gang sign for like shooing us off of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like we do have the right to be in these spaces and it is actually, I think our responsibility to be, and I'm going to take it back, but like to explain to people that you have forgotten how to move. Right. Twice. It's a good thing to do. But I also think that one should be able to just go out and play or practice parkour, whatever you want to call it, and not have to also take on the yoke of like, well, you can't just do that because you're in public. You also have to be a steward of parkour for the masses. And that I think is disappointing that people in effect get stuck with that just because you're in public. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't think you have to be an evangelist to parkour. I think you can just... You can you can represent it just by being whoever you are, as long as you're training well and you're being respectful, which may include just leaving and not saying anything, like your yeah. earlier story. Like that's that's fine. I, yeah, I think it's much like anything, like forceful evangelization, uh, evangelization, evangelism, evangelism, living color, evangelization is not. You know, if you, if it's forced, it's not it's not effective, and usually it's you know inversely yeah, effective. The opposite the mm-hmm. opposite response from the one that you intended. Correct. Yeah, do all the talking on the podcast and try never to dangle prepositions. <laughs> that is a situation up with which I will not put. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if two white witches watch two white wristwatches, which white witch would watch which white wristwatch? Ooh. <laughs> you know, you don't want to know my favorite one? I've never seen someone get this one right away, so I'm going to test you. Uh-huh. All right, so you have to say Topeka. Topeka. Okay, say Bodiga. Bodiga. Mm-hmm. Say Topeka, Topeka, Topeka. Topeka, Topeka, Topeka. Good. Bodiga, Bodiga, Bodiga. Bodiga, Bodiga, Bodiga. Do we have to bleep this out? <laughs> we'll find out in a minute. So now you're going to go one, two, three, one, two, three, and then we're going to alternate them. So it'll sound like this Topeka, Topeka, Topeka. Bodiga, Bodiga, Bodiga. Topeka, Bodiga, Topeka, Bodiga. Topeka, Bodiga, Bodiga. Topeka, Topeka, Topeka. Bodiga, Bodiga, Bodiga. Topeka, Bodiga, Topeka, Bodiga. Topeka, Bodiga, Bodiga. That was very impressive. Let it let the record show that somebody got it right away. And I have never heard that on before. film. Yeah, that's a really good one. That'll trip that, people. That up. one's yeah. I don't even know if I could repeat that. Right. Well, and yeah, and the faster if you try to make no pauses anywhere, it's, yeah, you go really that fast. That was as fast as I could yeah, have done. To be a wow. There you go. To be a 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 to be just like that. You have to do the last part. I keep saying, uh, like, I, soon it's going to be time for me to start doing presentations on how to speak. <laughs> I was mm. like, no, that's just too meta for me. Too meta. Yeah. Too meta. Yeah. Welcome um, to tutoring. Mm, no, 
enough of that. I'm too old for that. Quiet in the peanut gallery. <laughs> hey, actually, there's a challenge. If you know where that the peanut gallery reference comes from, drop me an email. <laughs> there you go. No, won't get an email from me. I hear that all the time, but I don't know where it's originally from. Do you want to let the cat out of the bag? And I'll, I'll leave it. I'll leave it as a challenge. No, right? leave it as a challenge. Yeah, uh, we can yeah, talk, we can talk me, off mic about yeah, that. Yeah, team at moversmindset.com. Get the drop of the main name. Let's just drop an email in there just for fun. If any, and, and like, no cheating. Don't go to Google and look up peanut gallery. If you know where the peanut gallery reference comes from, like people talk about the peanut gallery. Why, you know, they say, those, yeah, why I don't really the know the gallery? source of that. Or, yeah, where does that question. come from? Etymology. It's uh-huh. great. Why are we talking about insects? I don't know. <laughs> what is, um, I always wonder that. I hear radio shows all the time. And they're like, call this number with this answer and you win your gift card. Yeah. Like, is anyone not just Googling it and then calling? Dude, that was before they invented Google. No, it's I still mean, happening. they still do it? Oh, yeah. Okay. They I still, like, I'll, people still like, listen to radio? Right. What? Like, yeah. No, yeah. I it's, I'll be listening all the time and I'll be like, I'll, out of curiosity, like, Google yeah, well, it myself. Like, the, I already know the answer. The answer is they don't, they don't care. I mean, like, the, yeah, the, cost, the gift card was given to them by an advertiser. And it, right, the right, whole right. point of, like, you can win a gift card for $25 to how, Olive Garden where all the breadsticks are free. You know, that's the people who vote in and are wrong. Like, come on. Come on. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? Okay. I used to listen to a lot of radio. Right. And, and they used to have, I'm amazed. I, oh, long story. I, I once, yeah, I mean, that story's too long. To, <laughs> too long. So, too long. And <laughs> didn't too, pass through the yeah, filter. No, it doesn't pass the filter. So <laughs> the Bearman and Keith, I think they still are on WZZO, a local radio station mm-hmm. around here. And they used to do these phone in multiple choice questions. They probably still do the exact same ones. And they'd be like, okay, Adam, you know, for the six pack of Coors Light, but you had to pay me to take. But for mm-hmm. the six pack or whatever case of Coors Light, is the answer A, Topeka, Kansas, B, Bodega, or C, you know, like, <laughs> like and, please, but yeah, and the answers were always C. Like, oh, I mean, no. every single time they did a thing, it was always the same, might have been D, but it was always the same letter, and people would get it wrong. And they'd be like, We're giving you the case of beer anyway. <laughs> Thanks for we don't have time for another caller. Yeah. Here's a case of beer. Yeah. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's all part of just part of the fun in the show. Craig, do people tell you, because they tell this to me all the time, do they tell you that you should be on the radio or do me? radio shows? Yeah, is that ever something no, they you tell get? you that I should be on the radio? No, they no, tell just you that you about should... you, you about you. <laughs> um, no, people have not told me that. People, I have always been the class clown. Mm-hmm. But that's just like been, I'm like a performance that's stick, artist. Yeah. That's my thing. But people don't tell me I should be on the radio. Mm. Because I don't, does anybody know what radio even is anymore? Like, yeah. I mean, I know radio is still a it's thing. It's pretty but. big. Yeah. It's pretty darn big. It's, it's big with the younger, younger, like, teenage college generation. Oh, wow. They listen to a lot of radio. Wow. Apparently. I would have never, anyway, learn yeah. something every day. Forget yeah. two things. Now, I know that people say about you, Adam, the voice. Like, people right, right, know right, right. The voice. I don't know what anybody's ever said to me. Adam should be on the radio. Well, just, I figured I'm talking specific. to a guy who, like, hosts a podcast. I thought maybe I'd have, like, a friend of the, the fellow um, radio. I don't know that I get that. Accuser. Maybe. Mm, I don't know. Hmm. It's yeah. interesting. I, I do get lost. I am interested in, I actually tried to find a vocal coach at one point. Hey, by the way, if you're within the sound of my voice and you give professional speaking lessons, like oration, hit me up. But I've looked into that and, mm-hmm. I tra- and it's an interesting, cause it's, I didn't think of it when I started, but it's literally a performance art. Like you're literally doing yes. vocal performance, you know, a la sportiotic, you know, kind mm-hmm. of thing. And I've often thought like, well, if I had a lot of extra time, I would go take like, you know, theater courses and, but projection isn't my problem, but Learning to right, my brother-in-law Intric- makes a joke about of, yeah. the macaroni and cheese that happens when you get too close to the mm-hmm. mic. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested in that part of the vocal performance and how it works, and, and how, how, not to, how to not, not let a mic fall over on the desk. <laughs> how not to not give. <laughs> <laughs> that could uh, not have been that planned. Perfect. That was out oh, stuck in really fanding. Good. 
<laughs> but that's because I have these hack job tripods, so the whole thing fits in anyway. Yeah, and I try to avoid the the gear fetish, you know, because like you could get like tripods and stands mm-hmm. and arms, and and these mics are really good. I really like them. Every once in a while, I record on a different mic, and I'm like, what is wrong with? The, oh, it's the you know. So there, I love all that part of it, but I've often, I actually often find now that I'm no longer thinking about there are people listening. Like I don't, I don't think about that anymore. Right. Usually, I mean, the first time, the fifth time that I say um or whatever, then it comes back. Or if I say so, I've been wondering, then it, I snap back into the meta, right? Fight. The self-aware speaker but, skills. But I think that's the one thing that I think people would say about you is that you're not, uh, you don't snap into the meta frame like you can. Just talk, just you know, go. like run a course and just go and not, I'm not sure what to say. You know, like, right. it's not, like, not all right, I have a repertoire or... of material and I know my, and, mm. and part of that just comes from knowing your material. So I, I got to believe if I asked you to, to teach a course on quantum mechanics, there'd be a bit of a pause, mm-hmm. you know, you're like, can I even pull that off or do I need to go do the research for like, so part of it is because most everything people hear you talk about is material that, you know, inside out, backwards, forwards, that right. makes it much easier to be thorough right um, and smooth yeah there's also a lot to like trying to decide like i'm running the meta conversation like do i want to tell the story because telling the story that i was thinking of telling would require me to tell a whole bunch of backstory about my life i was like that's just too boring like skip it but so to learn to be self-aware enough to like okay this detail that goes out you know this detail that goes out that mm-hmm. detail that's not going to help the students which reminds me of the question i asked you the other night at the academy detour the double arm swing on precision landings oh, right right and, and i forget how i actually learned that i think i just learned it like when the jumps get big enough that it just like right comes your body kind of needs to do it yeah, <laughs> the, yeah yeah the ape goes by the way you don't have a tail you need to swing your arms and i asked you a question like i was watching somebody try to do a precision onto a rail on the ground and i thought they were at a distance where they needed to like swing they weren't swinging their arms at all mm-hmm. like they need to start swinging your arms and I had asked him, like, hey, have you seen? And then I showed him what it looked like. And it, it, like I could just see the smoke. He was just like, what right. the heck was yeah. that? Dog watching like, a television. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And cool. I, and I was like, well, that was a mistake. I yeah. shouldn't have even <laughs> waded into that. I should have just, like, went for the drink of water. Right. And then afterwards, I circled back and I said to you, just because I'm, like, meta-curious. I'm like, hey, how would you teach that? How would you teach the double arm swing? And I thought your answer was really enlightening. Your answer was like, and my brain went, there's a pause, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, I was actually like struck by the fact that you thought about it for like three seconds mm-hmm. and I was, was just getting ready to reach out and like bump you, you know, like, <laughs> is, is it dead? stuck? <laughs> and then it was, so I have seen you do those kind of things mm-hmm. where like, that is not a canned response that I often have to reach for. And then what you came back to me was basically like, that's not really something you teach because they get to the point where, you know, like, right. it doesn't matter what the body usually unfolds it unless there's some yeah. weird error you need to correct. Yeah. 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 So the, the point I'm making is like, yeah, there are points where I get sucked out into the meta but they're also i also do like listening to vocal performances like i'm mm-hmm. like i have a, a man crush on on mike rose voice when he does yes. the podcast i was just like it's the only podcast in my podcast player that is locked at one time speed with the white space compression turned off right like so you can actually study mics. it yeah it's like it, well i'm lucky because my my mom is a voice teacher so i should ask her if you're yeah, <laughs> if she wants a new client she was a singer but mostly she was an actress so i spent my whole childhood on stage and particularly, uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and we did Shakespeare. So it wasn't just like anything. It was like, I really had to, as a the bard. seven-year-old, learn Shakespearean right. words and study them. And then to cap that off, and of course, my mother spoke a lot in my life. <laughs> That's where I get my <laughs> talking from. So, you know, you just grow up with 
you know, someone who's articulate and speaks well and speaks thoroughly and speaks a lot. And then the other end of that, which I got, I think, lucky. This, I think this is where the luck comes in for me is, is my dad, who doesn't talk much at all. Mm. is very concise with his words. Yeah, more But he has like, he's an airline pilot. And there's something that happens where when you're born and then fate decides that you're an airline pilot, it gives you this voice. <laughs> gives you this brain and this um, voice. And, and maybe it's trained a bit because he was also an Air Force guy. And they also have that like, that like cool, mm-hmm. calm, collected thing going on. <laughs> but my dad would talk the way most airline pilots would talk in most of his life, which is sort of like, <laughs> we're coming up soon on the uh, south coast of California. <laughs> Weather's about 32 degrees and sunny. Yeah, if you could take the trash out no. before. Yeah, if you could take the trash out, that'd be fantastic. And, um, oh, man. I'm going to be going to Disney World at approximately January. <laughs> and uh, So it was just very like that. So I have my mother's personality, but there's that vocal tone that uh, I guess you call it the late night DJ voice, you know, that's kind of, yeah. And uh, so he, he had that naturally. And so being exposed to like sort of my mother's eloquence and my, have my dad's like vocal quality somehow produced whatever the heck I have now, Um, which (laughs) sounds weird to me, but everybody tells me it should be on radio. So I guess I should get on that, but we'll start here on Movers Mindset podcast. Vocalization and pitch and tone. And I was on a cruise ship once, just once. And the power went out on the cruise ship. We were literally, which I overuse, but in this case, we were literally in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, Mm -hmm. (laughs) days from land, and all the power goes out on the cruise ship. We're adrift. It's a huge ship, 4,000 guests on the ship. (laughs) And I, like, I I don't consider myself a salty sailor, but I have been in open before on sailboats. And I noticed that they they call them the motion had changed. This is a big cruise ship, but I noticed it felt different. I'm just like, what you know, like what's going on here? And then I realized that the ship had turned to line up with the general swell because mm-hmm. it'll limit you know. And I look out the stern, and there's no more prop wash. Like for days, we've been leaving this line right. in the no, water, and the water, water in all well, and the line is like over here. Instead of being out the back, the line's out the side because we're turning. And I'm just like, well, that's not right. <laughs> so this boat's broken, <laughs> right? <It's> like <laughs> dead in the water, stress on dead. And the captain comes on, and he was a Frenchman. I'm not going to do a French accent. And he and he goes, "Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen." <laughs> I hope you're enjoying your lunch. Because <laughs> you know, it's like lunchtime. And he's like, in case you haven't noticed, we, we're having a small problem with power. And our first, you know, but I, like no misspeaking. Yeah. Just like our first concern is to get the people who are stuck in the elevators. And which I'm like, oh, right. Oh, they're right. There's, there's like, people in the there's elevators. There's like 16 <laughs> elevators on this ship. You know? right. My dad was an elevator mechanic. So was his dad. And right. I know I know more than you ever want to know about elevators I and escalators. Don't want to know. And and I had got, I walked on the ship and I'm like, the, the, the ship is 17 decks above the water. It was enormous. They had a basketball court, a bumper. They had bumper cars. Like, on you the know, ship. On the ship. That's amazing. And a 40 foot climbing wall. Pad. Past tense. No, no, it didn't, it didn't sink, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, all the bumper cars. Yeah, they have yeah. standing still cars. Anyway, so he was basically like, just like came on, you know, and like the only way it could have been better is if he had said, we're sorry about the iceberg. If you could kick <laughs> right. the pieces over the side for us, we'll be serving cocktails on the fan. Exactly. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so it's like he was so, but I guess that's why he was the captain of that ship. And then mm-hmm. I could, I could just hear like, you know, and then it'd be like, like screaming at people because the power's out. You know? Yep. Yeah. Well, I think it's, a, a, I don't know where it all comes from. It might be a radio communication thing. I know like my dad would tell me stories. There's actually a book that I've read some pieces of, but it's all the tales of the kind of pilot he was. He was a Ford air control pilot, which was like a pretty intense part of the air force. They would like fly in. He was in the Vietnam war. They would fly in, mark the targets with lasers, like right after this whole laser targeting mm. thing was invented and then pull out. And then the, Amazing fighters and guided would come munitions in would come and in and high school. blow everything up. So he was the first one in. So you take the most amount of fire. You're in a slower moving airplane because you have to 
be accurate. Loiter. Right. And then you, and then you leave without really returning Hopefully. quite as much fire. Yeah. No <laughs> missiles, just a little minigun. So lots of really cool stories and it would be fun to hear about them. But I think the way their radio <laughs> communications have to work, and maybe this is true of all combat, but I think it's, I think there's a reputation given to pilots and fighter pilots in particular where they have to say things like, yeah, we are um, heavily under fire command. Uh, yeah, it's like it's kind of, you just know, just get around. I, to I it. Might, might die in any second, but just reporting <laughs> on and uh, okay, we're going back to base now. Right. I survived. <laughs> like it's just a, it's just you have to have that attitude. I think otherwise you can't really panic in a, like a three million dollar, two hundred mile an hour machine. Probably so. Might have something to do with that. <laughs> I'm just thinking. I have a couple of friends. I'm not going to drop any names of these people, but a couple of friends, and one guy was a. Uh, Riding in the back of a certain kind of navy jet, and and they actually crashed the jet, and they were they were oh, doing no. like this, they were doing like a some kind of mission where they there are there are four seats in the jet, and the two guys riding in the back are like operations, so they're only windows, they're just like in an enclosed fuselage, and the pilot is being tested, and my pal is also being tested as a team, so there are two instructors, there's mm-hmm. four people in the plane, right. And the pilot was being intentionally overtasked by the instructor. And while the pilot was distracted doing other things, the instructor, Travis said, it was really amazing. He flew this perfect 1G whacked maneuver and put the plane in a screwy attitude in a dive and then let go of the controls and said to the pilot, whoops, I've lost control of the aircraft. So the pilot goes from like whatever he was doing, turns around and like the horizon doesn't make sense and the gauges are all wacky. And he basically put a plane that isn't supposed to do this into a flat spin, which is flat spin is just aerodynamically different surfaces stalls. So the right wing stalls and the mm. left wing stalls and the right, it's like, so you, you can't, you should be able to recover. This plane is supposed to be uncrashable. I think it was a Viking. <laughs> Travis is like, guess what? <laughs> you can crash them. So they went from wherever they were like there, you know, and the two instructors, the, the pilot instructor, this was what he was supposed to do, but the guy in the back got mad. Like, cause he's like, this means we're going swimming. And he's just like, he's like, Travis is like, the, the other instructor gets mad and starts cursing. Like, oh, you can't believe, you know, because they know each other. It's like, Adam, I can't believe you think I'm going to crash this jet. Right. And my friend says, the funniest part was that he was cursing when he ejected. So it was like, you blackity blackity. And like, the, well, and the still cord, going. Well, his cord unplugged. So it was like, you know, Travis said, then I sat in the sea for eight hours in a big green pile of dye. Right. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah, he said that just there, the there weirdest thing people. was, yeah, they, they were just, he was like, him and the pilot were very calm, but the, the guy who wasn't actually flying, who was, you know, picking on the radar mm-hmm. skills, was like, yeah, it was yeah like, it, it's a type, it's a type. My dad asked yeah. me when I was young, do you want to be a pilot? And I was like, no. no. <laughs> oh, my grandfather asked my dad, you should be an elevator mechanic. My dad's like, no, because he saw how hard my grandfather uh-huh. worked in the hours and they get called to in the morning, people stuck in elevators and stuff. Yeah. Nope. Is there anything you can think of, like, I mean, we've done a bunch of fun stuff, but is there anything else you can think of, like, oh, we should have talked about we could do a three words to describe your practice but we've already done one of those people can go back and listen to episode one (laughs) moversmindset.com slash one (laughs) so is there anything else that springs to mind i'm just trying to think if there's anything else that i wanted to talk about i am interested in i'm I'm really not used to talking to the people who are listening like it and i know people are listening but it doesn't occur to me that most people are not in the room Mm -hmm. but if you are listening and you think of something like oh you should have asked them this or that like email us it's just team at moversmindset.com we get the emails we write back or whatever i'm always interested in knowing what people think i it may sound useless but i'm really interested in knowing what people think i should have asked a guest 
And in particular, if the guest said something that I seem to have missed, I probably ignored it on purpose. But if I missed something, I like to know what detours I should have taken because it helps me right. figure out what other people were thinking. Well, I know when I'm listening to a podcast and there's some conversation happening, you know, I'll have a thought like, mm. oh, I wonder what that means about that person. By the time the podcast is over, I forget that. Mm. But it might be a good idea as an audience member to like write down. Yeah. Like, oh, I just jot down like what that would be. And so then I can send that thought in. Like, well, Adam said something about yeah, this thing about me, business, but, clue but that's exactly it. what I want to hear more about. Is that something he could, yeah, that yeah. would take, take well, a little notes like that doing, would be good. Uh, yeah, what's the word for getting old? We've started doing follow-ups. <laughs> like I couldn't find the word follow-up in my vocabulary. I'm like, spin the Rolodex. Oh, there's a word for it. We've started doing follow-ups with some guests where we mm -hmm. try to collect questions that people have asked. And then we, it actually turns really hard to get them. Like so the one person that we've started doing this with, like the first guinea pig hasn't like returned an answer yet. And he, and the person said like, well, I keep thinking about it. The more I think about it, the more I keep rewriting my notes. I'm like, dude, like, you just could get it. This person could be that keeps thinking about answers and not giving. So it's, it's, it's a challenge, but I really think Sounds like a dangerous guy. Yes. It really could be a hazard. So one of the challenges that I'm finding is this uh, this is obviously a very long well i mean in the grand scheme of things i've heard other people do two and a half hour ones but this is for the ones that i've been doing this is a very long form conversation and i think that it's helpful if the first exposure to a guest is the shorter form mm -hmm. and then i mean because sometimes people just don't like i i mean i listen to podcasts i don't want to hear this guy say right, yeah, the word, the stop, interesting. You know? right but i think on the shorter ones guests who might be less approachable they're made more approachable if I if I put them in a box a little bit more right. and, and like ask let them, it be an appetizer yeah. for what people kind of what their appetite like. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's one thing I've been trying to do more of is to try to do some short episodes and then circle back. I mean, some people there's an episode that isn't out yet with Cordelia mm. where we did a long interview and we haven't released that one yet. It's just like stuck in audio editing. And that one there is no short form. So it's, there are some where you just like you dive in with that person, but right. It's well, a, she, she's got a good name. That'll probably work. Like people, people know Cordelia. Well, she's and got she's, a, she's approachable. Yeah, yeah, she I, I is. can think of she's some awesome. guests that, like, if I did an hour and a half with the, well, I'm not going to name names. So I don't want people to take it wrong or bad or good. Or, but like, there are certain people you can do an hour and a half with, and you'd just be like, my brain melted. Like, right. I, you know, I got more questions than I have answers. So sometimes it helps to give the guests a framework to fit into. But I like in these conversations where we don't have to have particular questions. But yeah, it can be explorative. Well, it can be the theme of today. It can also be exhausting. Yeah, <laughs> that's true like, too. The, yeah, wait, well, yeah, we've gone how many different directions? It's fine for us, but listeners are like, "Wait, is this about business? Is this about parkour? Is this about pilots? What's yes. this about?" I have often, maybe I haven't said it often enough. I have often said, it's like every once in a while, this doesn't happen often. Some people walk up to me and say, "What's like? How do you know when you when you've succeeded?" Like, you know, somebody actually said to me, "Well, hmm. typed," but somebody said, "Well, now that you've arrived, what's next?" And I was like, "Arrived? arrived. I haven't even like what?" I, so some people have asked me, "What is actual the idea of success for the podcast project?" And hmm. I said, "Well, actually, it's I have a really good, simple explanation, definition, answer." If you, like somebody listening, if you listen to Adam talk and the next time you see Adam or the first time that you see Adam, you feel comfortable talking to him, score like that to me would be the perfect definition of the podcast being mm. successful because the, we were talking about the monkey sphere before. There's no way that let's say, let's say 12 people listen to this episode. <laughs> it's 
So 12 people listen. The chances of you knowing those 12 people, actually, it's probably pretty good. It's okay, probably this pretty is a good bad example. Point, but oh, let, let's fast forward yeah, a year. So let's fast forward yeah. a year. So 13 people listen. Right. And you don't know and I don't one know one of them. Of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, well, dead. And, for, and, and I know 12 yeah. of them, and I forgot one. Oh, and that's one. the one we're talking right. about. Right. <laughs> anyway, I'm just going to let that idea <laughs> die on the vine. What else do we need to talk about? I would presume, having been in a martial arts school, that people walk up to you and say, wow, like, you know, what did it cost to build a gym? Or, you know, like they, people walk up and ask you casually. But in more serious contexts, parkour people who have, like, have a community, do people mm-hmm. actually approach you and say, hey, so you built a gym and it looks like it's succeeding. Do they want, like, the inside scoop? Does that happen or just nobody yeah. seems to care? Um, I think people who are involved in either building parkour gyms or run a parkour gym are interested. Most people, I've never heard any interest outside of that people who also have an interest in building. There's a few parents who are like, how do you build some of these boxes? I want one for my basement. Or actual parkour people who are like, how do you build this gym? Because I built one and this is better. Yeah. Or worse, whatever the case may be. But I think because it's like just wood and metal, it's not something that like the average person is amazed by. Like it's not a work of art. Um, <laughs> I, I only just remembered the wall. I was like, oh God. <laughs> <laughs> the wall, the, yeah. the one that we the, ran yes, all the way. The, yeah, that yeah, was horrible. Need to be so, yes. Yeah. Do you remember? No. How, I remember how much of a, like that was like a thing. Like, how are we gonna? What's with the? Yeah. Anyway, I didn't mean to be like sorry. It took, so, no, so it's fine. Ask. It took a lot of thinking, and that's really what <laughs> problem all, solving all this was. Yeah, it's a problem solving thing. I mean, I'm lucky enough. You know, Josh, one of the coaches on the team, um, also studies engineering. He's in in school for that. So and he's got on top of studying it, he's also got a great brain for it, which is kind of separate from studying it. So he's got a knack for putting stuff together and what structures are strong and what isn't. You know, he can just eyeball it, put it together, create it, and whatever. So as a team, we kind of came up with a design, and we went from the perspective of what's anything we were ever going to want to teach in our curriculum, mm-hmm. and then is there some place to do it? And that that was sort of the basis of our design. So we all like stared at it on a screen in a meeting room one time, and we're like, okay, if we wanted to teach cat leaps, is there a scalable place to do it? Okay, we want to teach this. Is there a scalable place to do it? Right. Okay. And so that's kind of what dictated the build. And there are a few things we'd be like, all right, there's not really a good place for cat to cat. So let's go back and, and fix that. Right. So we came up with a design. The rest was just labor, just lots and lots of labor. I mean, it's yeah, the old sweat equity, sweat equity. Exactly. Put that in anything. And that's, uh, I mean, yeah, kind of history from there. Surprisingly simple. I think people who, as long as you have either a contractor or someone you trust who has like the ability to keep it safe or you I don't know, hire a professional company like, um, gosh, let me think, Parkour Generations, as a good example, <laughs> to make a uh, I was like, are you about to? Oh, I am. just did. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, you know, as long as you have someone to, like, make sure everything's safe. Yeah, you don't um, want to reinvent the wheel. Right. No, it's amazing how simple, actually, a build is. I mean, I don't consider myself, a, you know, a, an amazing builder or any kind of engineer or anything. I'm, like, a normal amount of handy, I would say. But it was, I mean, it's screws and... Yeah, the right, of wood a couple of cons- and, good ideas about the right and, Yeah, and every once in a while you got the random problem to solve, which is not very different from well, like I projects think, in your house. I think one of the uh, I don't want to like you know so I get on my high horse. Having been to a few places to train, the level of the person who asks questions about the gym, they're like so high. The people are so high. Like if I if I'm I don't make critical comments about the gym. But if I did, it's like, okay, I've been jumping on like stuff for seven years, which I know listeners is a short time, but like been there, done that. So the questions that I would ask are not like, 
these beginner level questions like is the bug stable like mm-hmm. the whole the whole point of like you saying we can't do cat to cat like there's a small number of people who know what that is let right. alone actually want to train it so i think everybody loses the people who build gyms the people who ask questions about gym building we all lose sight of like we're like in the one percent up here mm-hmm. you know and like that's right it's like people are picking on little details like i don't like your color scheme i'm like excellent because if that's the thing that we disagree right. on then you know great you know? right so there's just so much that i think we have already gr- outgrown like as a community and a like mm-hmm. i'm talking about just the parkour people but like as a society and a community we've already outgrown the like oh just slap it together like with that, that those days are over right for you know good and for it's a good thing that they're over so i think people have moved beyond that and then they're already looking at you know you look at like apex gym and they make comments about aesthetics or lines or things. And, but like, I'm like, wait, stop. <laughs> Just to look at it with that eye requires parkour vision. Correct. And let's back out. How right. many people around here have, have parkour vision? So the bar, oh, I see what I did there. The bar, I was like the level bar for mm-hmm. good enough is actually really high. Yeah. That, oh, I don't want to say any gym because I haven't been to every gym, but any gym that you go to is going to be good enough for the beginners. Yes. And I think, I don't want to say but, a lot of people. But. Except, but that's an interesting point because many of them are not well optimized for the beginner because we operate from that mm. 1% perspective. Right. That we're going, okay, we need a whole bunch of cool equipment. You know, we want to be able to do lines. We want a bunch of stuff. Three tires, the, right? Right. Yeah. We need, we need all the stuff that's going on. And then... Imagine being a beginner walking into that space, seeing, you know, 10 yeah. foot towers There's and all no these floor boxes beams, right? and yeah, everything uh, rails up in the air and you're like, I don't even know where to begin, which is why I, you know, we tried to make our design like, okay, there's a lot of empty space. There's a lot of low equipment. There's a lot of stuff that's accessible that if you just no instruction, drop someone into the space and we're like, go, go do some things that you've seen. Yeah. Hopefully they would be like, oh, well, there's this rail that's two inches off the ground. I'm going to try balancing, st- on that. balancing on that. And then like, oh, here's a box that I'm going to try like mm-hmm. clamoring over a little bit. And that's, I do think that's an important thing for gym builders to keep in mind. We tried to do our best with this because no matter what you do, mathematically, the majority of the, the people, people who walk into your space are beginners. beginners. And it may be like over time, maybe your community changes and most of the people who train are really advanced and you get a lot less beginners. That's possible, I suppose. Yes. But it's, <laughs> it's it doesn't make likely. any sense. Um, it's not likely. No, it's not likely at all. Um, it's much more likely that the majority of people were at least some point and certainly maybe maintain being a beginner. Mm-hmm. So you have to like think from that perspective the best you can as a, as a gym builder and go, well, how do I serve them? But still make this place cool. But yeah, the beautiful thing about parkour place, is, right? you know, as long as you're, you've got a good, healthy mindset about training, you can take pretty simple obstacles and make pretty cool challenges out of them. Yeah. So, you know, that's why we lean towards let's make it beginner. Let's focus it on, like, diversity of movement. And then, you know, us advanced athletes who are really interested in trying stuff, like, we'll find a way. That, that's fine. Yeah. All right. So the final question, three okay. words to describe your practice. All right. Strength, touch, Strength, and, touch spirit. and spirit. <laughs> Suckers. Um, you fell for it. <laughs> no, no. Um, three good ones these times. So I guess my practice now. Oh, good point. Which is different from my practice then for a whole number of reasons. I think I'm going to choose the word consistency, and that applies to both me training parkour, but my training includes running my business these days. That's part of what my training is, my mm-hmm. responsibility. Uh, so consistency i think is important in training it's something we forget to do we fall off the wagon doing but that's also <laughs> when you're not doing that in your business it's the same thing that's how you fall off the wagon and let things slip through the crack so that's like a reminder for myself like that's an important element of my own training so consistency i would also choose the word trust 
pretty much going to choose three words that have, are connected to both business and parkour training because that's really the the two ends of my world right now. Trust is big because you if you I mean you have to have trust in yourself. That goes without saying with your training. It's about building trust. It's about developing yourself. But it's also about putting enough trust in other people in your organization that you right. can let it develop. We talked before about you need more pillars, right? And get out of your own way. I ran all my I ran out all my pillars and now I need more to spread this community and grow it. That you can't you need to put the weight on those pillars and let it stand on its own, you know, and let it merge with you, but not be totally on you. So trust would probably be the second one. And yeah, for the third one, I think I'm just going to go with fun because, you know, after you've been doing something over a decade, you know, it doesn't have glamor anymore. It's I'm out of the honeymoon phase with parkour, especially after it like snapped my knee in half. So, (laughs) you know, for me and now it's just like, what do I really enjoy? And I enjoy a lot of elements of parkour and it's fun to rediscover them when you haven't touched it in a couple of years or to keep doing the same thing that you love to do. Um, and that's certainly true for my business as well. At the end of the day, I'm not here to like run a business that I don't like. I'm here to run a business because it's, it's about laughs and it's about friends and it's about sharing and it's about community and it's, it's yeah, it's supposed to be fun. So I think that's important. Cool. Well, thank you very much. Always a pleasure talking to you on mic or off. Thanks, Craig. You're very welcome. This was episode 36. For more information, go to moversmindset.com slash 36. I'd love to hear your questions, comments, or suggestions. Send an email to team at moversmindset.com. If you found this episode at all useful or enjoyable, please tell your friends. And there's more to the Movers Mindset project than just this podcast. Visit our website for more free content, to sign up for our newsletter, or to join the Movers Mindset community. Thanks for listening.